0: So this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the issue of persecution. I want to define that word for you right now. The word persecute means to harass someone, especially because of beliefs in Christ. And so so here we have to take a look at what, what some of these I have some statistics that I want you to be able to see, but before we show these, I want to make it very clear that when we talk about the word persecution, when we talk about the concept of there are people in the world today that are dying for their faith, that is something that we are not normally faced with on this side of the globe. So what what I want you to do and what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to take a look at the the text that we're looking at and look at the big C. Not just Cary, North Carolina, my church, Northwest Community Church. I want you to look at the big C because those brothers that are over there and sisters that are over there that are dying for their faith, they're part of the big C and that's what we're a part of. And what I want us to do is I want us to be able to come together and understand this concept of persecution and not look at it and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. So we tune out, but look at the first church, look how they responded to the, to the first persecution of the early church in Acts chapter four, and then take a look at how we can persevere through it, praying for our brothers and sisters and and doing that. So a couple of statistics that I want you to do. I've compiled these from the world watch list of 2018, They have an incredible website that talks about persecution all over the world. In one month, in one month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith throughout the world. 214 churches or church properties, Christian properties, are destroyed. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians. We've got another slide that shows you some facts. I want to go ahead and point them out to you right now. 215 million Christians experience high level of persecution in the countries on the world watch list. This represents one in 12 Christians worldwide. North Korea is ranked number one for the 16th consecutive year. And during the world watch list of 2018, them compiling the results, 3,066 Christians were killed, 1,252 were abducted, 1,020 were raped or sexually harassed, 793 churches were attacked. And Islamic oppression fuels persecution in eight of these top 10 countries. I have the next two slides that are gonna be up on the screen. are gonna show you the, the countries where persecution is the most intense. So one through 20 is the first slide. We can see that North Korea is at number one. And then the next slide goes twenty through 21 through 50 of the countries that are under intense persecution. So, so we look at it, we're in, Carry North Carolina, and we're in a public school, and it's not illegal for us to talk about Jesus. It's not, we're not going to get arrested for talking about Jesus. But we look at the scripture, and it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12, it says this, this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, this is not something new. I want you to get ready. John 15, 20 says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they, what? Will persecute you also. I've got a quote for you here about persecution from the Gospel Coalition. It says this, Persecution is not something that befalls only a few Christians. While it's possible to read Jesus' words in John 15, 20, the verse we just read, as a unique promise for the apostles, the passage from 2 Timothy cannot be read so narrowly. The point is plain. While martyrdom is a special category set aside for a select number of Christians, Revelation 6, 8 through 11, talks about those who will die for their faith. Persecution is the normal experience of every Christian, everywhere, from stiff fines to full family shame, to being kicked off college campuses, to laws against sharing our faith, to unjust trials, to public mockery and scorn, to arrest and brutality. If we faithfully follow Jesus in a world, we will all face persecution at some point in our Christian discipleship. Even American Christians, if they are really Christians, will have crosses to carry. So again, what we don't want to do is keep ourselves in a box right now of this nice little church that we have in Cary, North Carolina, but we want to make sure that we understand there is a bigger, bigger thing that's going on all over the world where there's brothers and sisters that can, their lives are at stake for them naming the name of Jesus. And they keep calling on his name. And so I want us to take a look at Acts chapter 4, which is where we are in our, our, our message series. You will be persecuted based on the verses that I just read. So, so it's a fact right now that we're going to experience some type of persecution throughout our lives. Maybe not quite the same as those on the other side of the globe, but certainly, certainly to some extent. And if we remember what happened in the context of Acts chapter 4, we got to look back at Acts chapter 3 to make sure that we understand what just happened. Jerry last week spoke last week powerfully on a lame man that was healed. We know that Peter and John were outside the temple. They saw a man who was begging for some money. They came up. He was asking for money. Jesus says, I don't have anything but the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I want you to stand and walk. And did you see the vertical of Jerry Hines last week? Seriously, that was a knee tuck right there. CrossFit would love him, okay? He did a little knee tuck right there. I mean, got some vertical right there. So we saw last week that we know that this, this man was completely healed. And so what we're going to do in order to unpack this, this text this morning, one verses one through 22, is we're gonna, I'm gonna read a couple verses, make some comments, read a couple verses, make some comments, and then I've got four points for you this morning. just wanna telegraph the past kind of where I'm going. So, Join with me in Acts chapter four, starting in verse one. Acts chapter four, starting in verse one. Okay, as they were speaking to the people, now real quick, this is business as usual. Here they were told, now go make much of Jesus, go do that. They're in the courtyard, they see this man healed, and then all of a sudden, they're continuing to do what they were called to do. They kept on going, so keep going, it says this. The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, verse two. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Let's make sure we understand who's there. This is called the Sanhedrin. This is a Jewish council of about 70 people made up primarily of Sadducees. The Sadducees at the day and the time were the theologically liberal of the day. The Sadducees were greatly annoyed at what Peter and John were speaking on. The reason they were annoyed is because, number one, the power that they were talking about in Jesus rivaled against their message. They didn't like that. And number two, they were annoyed because they believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. That was what they believed in. And those books did not talk about a resurrection of the dead. So when you talk about a resurrection... That is completely foreign to them, and that's why they didn't like them. And so some would say because they did not they denied the resurrection, that is why they were sad, you see. Jerry's over there going, Yeah, we've heard that in seminary and Bible college our whole life. But I couldn't wait to use it on you right now. So easy way to remember the sad you see. They were sad, you see, because they denied the resurrection. Okay? All right, keep going. Who else is in the who else is here? Verse three. And they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and a number of the men came to about 5,000. Stop right there, and let's just talk. First, we started, the early church started with 120 people. Then all of a sudden, last week, we found out that it was growing, and there were 3,000 people that were added. Now we get up here and we have another number, which is actually the last number we have for the early church. There's 5,000 people. Some say that it's an additional 5,000 to the 3,000. Some say that it was just 5,000 men. And then you add on to the ladies, the the number of the church could be 35,000 people to 40,000 people. All we know is this, the church was growing rapidly in the midst of persecution. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Okay, so verse number five. We now understand there was rapid growth. And on number five, it says this. And on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Now, we have to stop right there. So they're basically asking them a question. Let's get this straight, guys. I want you to understand that we saw a man who was lame and has never walked a day in his life. We prayed over him in Jesus' name, and he is healed. So let's get this right. You are arresting us, bringing us before the Sanhedrin because of a good deed that's done. Do you sense a little bit of sarcasm? I I sense a little sarcasm in Peter. Possibly. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, not by me, not by John, by him this man is standing before you well. This, Jesus, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. In Jewish history, it was known that the cornerstone was the stone by which the building would survive. It was a cornerstone. It was placed there. It was weather-tempered. It was used to be able to to handle all of the seasons. And it was also able to handle the strength of the entire building. And so that's why he uses that word cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is, listen, beautiful verse, one you should memorize. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Unbelievable, great, great, great text right there. Verse 13, but when, the bold, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Listen, guys, we're not talking about scholars. We're talking about fishermen, that's what we're talking about. There is no PhD. There's no there master level education. We're talking about someone who just says, I need something else. This is who he is. It's, it's, it's fishermen. And every one of you in here should say amen. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you just use ordinary people to talk about you, an extraordinary God. That's, that's beautiful. That's encouraging for me. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they can't deny that he was healed. There was a complete army of people that were all around. There were so many witnesses. I mean, they couldn't just say, hey, 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 you get back in your wheelchair. Hey, if you're a leper, we don't want you to have, we want you to keep having your spots. We don't want you to, to be healed. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So there was a complete army. So they're sort of at an impasse, this Jewish council of 70, the religious authority, because there was such a a group of people that saw what had taken place. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council and they conferred with one another, verse 16 saying, what shall we do with these men for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. We cannot deny it. And verse 17 is, oh, one of them said, I got a plan. I I, I got a plan, and I think I know what we should do. And verse 17 is their plan. This this is incredible. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among them, the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 8, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach all in the name of Jesus. They went all exasperated, three-day snow parent on them. Be quiet. Don't do that again. That was their strategy. So the Sanhedrin and the parents all in this room that have had three snow days of children, they had the same kind of strategy here, and that is, I just need you to stop talking. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Okay, can you just be quiet? Okay, can I have some alone time? <laughs> and here they are, just, just be quiet. Well, let me ask you a question. How did that work for you? About the same way it's gonna work for the Sanhedrin, okay? So here they are right now, verse, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, listen, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. That's on you is what he's saying. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. That's what I want my life to be like and that's what I want your life to be like. For for we to speak and for the things we have seen and for the things we have heard. And then he comes down here and he says this, the last part. And when they had further threatened them, they threatened again, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And here's what I want us to do. I believe our text really gives us a really cool picture of what it looks like to persevere through persecution. To persevere through persecution. Again, I'm gonna say it again. Let's take a look and make sure our minds are open to the big C, the church that is the universal church, the church of Jesus Christ. that's all over the world. Those folks in Nigeria and us right here. So the first thing that I want you to see, we'll go back to the text in a minute, but the first thing I want you to see is this. is God will do what God said he would do. God will do what God said he would do. Verses one through four, I wanna really highlight that section right there. So remember what they were doing. They were speaking to the people. They had the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Verse two, they were were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus as a resurrected from the dead. And verse three, and they arrested him and put him in custody. And this is verse four, which which is an answer to the point. But many of those who had heard the word believed, The word of the Lord will not return void. It is something that we live for. It's something that we share. These early guys are sitting as two men, as a minority, and from the Jewish council of 70, they're being arrested for telling people about Jesus. And the first thing that we see in this through their persecution, which I believe gives them hope, is that they recognize that God would do what God said he would do. And if you wanna go back and take a look at Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we have the same man who's standing in front of the Jewish council of 70 that a couple of weeks ago was standing before Jesus. Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and Peter, and Jesus responded, yes, and upon this rock, your confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then Jesus, standing in front of the sand, goes out, talks to them, and he's going, I'm going to be bold. Why? Because God will do what God said he would do. Verse four says this, they arrested them, tried to shut them up, but, the word, but it says, many believed. Because persecution is not thwarting the plan of God, because it is God who is the author of everything. And so what we see in here is the church grew in spite of of the persecution, which gave incredible confidence as they stood before these folks that were sitting here telling them be quiet. It was unbelievable for us to be able to see that the church grew in this manner. And it's unbelievable for us to take a look at four books of the Bible. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those books are called the prison epistles. Guys, Paul is in jail and he is writing these letters To all of these churches, they are expanding, they are growing, and you and I are sitting here going, wow, I can look at Ephesians and say, wow, it is by grace you have been saved, not of works lest any man should boast. I can look at Philippians and say, he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will see it too through the day of completion. I can look at Colossians and say, you are qualified, you were delivered, and you were transferred because of this kingdom of light. And I can look at Philemon who talks about being rescued out of bondage. Volume one 1.6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ Jesus. And it's these letters, it's these letters that were written in the midst of intense persecution. And it's these letters that were used to help birth the beautiful thing that we call the New Testament church. And these guys were here, and these, Peter is here, and John is here, and he's reminded, and he's saying, hey, listen, God will do what God said he will do I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You're sitting here and you're thinking, is that true in my life? I believe it's true in your life. I believe that he's not, in, not at all in anywhere shape and form finished with what he wants to do in your life. I believe there's some incredible things that he's gonna use you to do. And I wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage you that he, that he will do what he said he would do. The early church was in the midst of intense persecution. And I believe that those guys could stand up because they remembered that he was gonna do something incredible. I love that word, verse four, but many of those who had heard the word believe. I mean, they're going off in handcuffs possibly to jail. And here they are, the church is growing. That's beautiful. Number two, number two, we gotta remember in the midst of persecution, we have to remember this. Number two, rely on the spirit to respond in the spirit. Rely on the spirit to respond in the spirit. Here's what it says in verse seven and through 7 through 10, it says this. And when they had set them in the midst, so let me just say, it's like a horseshoe, okay? It's like a horseshoe, looks like this, and they're standing right there in the middle. So if they look to their left, there's the end right here. They look to the right, then there's the end right there. And they're standing in there, and they're giving testimony over what just took place. Now, they're standing in the midst and they inquired by what power or by what name do you do this? Verse eight, then Peter, filled with the flesh, no. Filled with the spirit because that's what the spirit does. It fills us. That's what the spirit was sent for. In the gospels, we had Jesus beside them. In the New Testament church and even today, we have Jesus indwelling inside us. And there is a radical difference when he is beside us and when he is actually indwelling us it's a huge difference huge difference and so here is peter maybe in the spirit. He had a little bit of sarcasm, as I mentioned before, but he responds in verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, verse 10, let it be known to all of you and all of the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised to him, by him this man is standing. When you are relying on the spirit, you will respond in the spirit, and what happens when you are relying on the spirit, you will give credit to where credit is due, and that is God. You will not take it for ourselves. We will not hold that to ourselves. We will not use that stuff to glorify us. We will use it to glorify him. Here is Peter standing before the mix, and he says, I want you to know something right now. Yes, I was standing over him, and yes, I was speaking, rise and walk, but let there be no mistake about it. This man walks, this man jumps, this man praises the Lord because of the Lord alone, not because of anybody else. Not because of my gifts and not because of my talent, but because of him. And I can look at you right now and say this. This is my prayer for the book of Acts. I've written it right here. This is it. My prayer is here is to be spirit-led, number one. Because I believe in my heart that sometimes my tradition has robbed me to understand what it means to be spirit-led. And I don't want to be up here, nor do I want to be down there and give you something that's based off of a personality. But that is truly based off of the spirit of the living God. And this was evident that they were bold because of verse 13. Jerry will hit this next week. Verse 13 says this this is a key. This is it. But when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated in common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. They were astonished because of their boldness. They were astonished because of this. They were astonished because they had been spending time with King Jesus. And there is a difference in our lives when we spend time with King Jesus that you can stand up in front of anyone, anywhere, and say, I give praise and honor to him, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to try to say this next thing. I have two friends in the church that called me this week, or that I'm aware of. One called me a couple weeks ago. His name was Chris Chris Lawrence. And another friend was Dan Chrisle. Dan Crystal. So Dan and Chris this week have family members that they are burdened to share the gospel with. And so last week, Chris is like, I gotta go share gospel with my dad. I gotta go to Colorado and I gotta share the gospel with my dad. And so Thursday, I drove to his house, I picked him up in my car and I took him to the airport. And in the middle of that, we're sitting here, we're praying, God, in Jesus' name, will you open this guy's eye, eyes and will you allow Chris to be filled with the spirit and share you with him? And then my brother yeah, Dan, his his, uh, his sister, was dying. And he just was so urgently burdened to share the gospel with his sister. He jumped in the car at one o'clock on Tuesday or Wednesday to beat the snow and drove up there, spent, in a hotel, <laughs> spent the night in a hotel. <laughs> That's a funny story. We'll talk about that later. He got there and he was able to sit beside his sister's bed and he was able to share the gospel with his sister and the family got together and they prayed. And then shortly after that, She passed away. And this Tuesday, Dan is going to stand up and talk to his family members and tell them that there is no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved. And I am asking you to partner with me and partner with the crystals and ask him to pray in Jesus' name that he be filled with the Spirit. And that when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, they would look at him and say, all we can say is we can testify that you have been with Jesus. We are astonished because we can tell that you've been with Jesus. There is a difference. They may not believe what Dan is saying, but let it be known that through the Spirit, may they know that Dan believes it. Let it be known. And I can tell you right now, as she took her last breath, and as Dan is praying in that room, I can assure you, because I know that man, and I can tell you this right now, that everybody looked at him and said, there's something different about him. Because Jesus makes a difference in all situations, especially those of persecution. He makes a radical difference. And I want that difference in my life. Number three, the word of God is a tool from God. The word of God is a tool from God. Every single New Year's resolution in the world that, sh- that maybe you made, I'm not really a big fan of them, has said, I'd like to read the Bible more. I'd like to read the Bible more. I'd like to read the Bible more. Here's what's going on in this thing. They are tested about what they believe. They're told to be quiet and stop talking about Jesus. And, and what they do is we find out that they, they're, they're comfortable. Hey, the word of God is is. is Uh, is going forth, and here's, let let me show that to you. Verse 11 says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and let me just say this to you right now. This is what took place. In Jewish history, this is what would happen. They were building Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was unbelievably beautiful. And over at what they would be, where where they would get the rocks from, a quarry, so to speak, they would fashion those rocks and craft those rocks and build them to perfection. They would then send those rocks to where the temple was going to be made. And they kept doing that over and over and over again. The rule was you weren't even allowed to use a tool to put the rock in place because it was perfectly crafted and shaped to be set up to build this beautiful temple. There was one stone that was taken. There was one stone that was sent. When the stone got to the laborers to build Solomon's temple, Jewish tradition says that the, they looked at the stone and they said, this doesn't even look right. It, looks, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it should fit. It's different than the other stones and it's not right. So they took that stone, they took that stone and they rolled it off to the side. And they left that there and they went compiling other stones and putting them there in their place. And then finally they got to the stone that, is, that, that was supposed to be put, uh, the building, the cornerstone. They needed that stone. And they couldn't find that stone. And they asked where that stone was. And the, the workers that were crafting the rocks told the laborers that were putting it together, said, we already sent you that stone. I'm like, you did. Where is that stone? And they looked around and looked around and over here with stuff growing over it, like, like grass and, and and thorns. They get this stone. And they're like, oh, this is the stone. We rejected that stone. They take that stone back. And they put that in this beautiful temple. And this is where we get the history from. That Jesus says, I am the chief cornerstone. And when he looks at these Jewish folks and says, this stone, this cornerstone, is the one that you rejected. They're referencing, they're referencing his betrayal and his crucifixion. And they're going back into Isaiah. This is what Isaiah says. Isaiah 28, verse 16 through 17 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. So he is talking about this cornerstone as being the one who is trusted. And what he does in his argument to these people is he uses the word of God because it is a tool from God. And it is a tool for you to do the same thing, to use the word of God to help you understand the ways of God. It's a way to help you understand, hey, what is sin? What is not sin? What should I do here? What should I not do here? The word of God is a tool from God. And here's what they do early on in persecution, is they use the word to turn it back on them. These were these great scholars that were sitting around, and he turns it back on them. Ephesians chapter 2 19 through 21 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Peter and John used that in front of these religious leaders to show them where the power came from. And then they boldly declare as a summary, since he's the chief cornerstone, they boldly declare that there is no other name that man can save. That can save us. You see, every single religion in the world, you and I this, every single religion in the world says, "Hey, I want you to do this so that you can come in." And Jesus says, "I did, and I'm coming to you." And that is drastically different. That's why there is no other name. There is no comparison. There is no second place. It is him and all of him. And that's what they were saying here, and they use the word to confirm that to them. Number four, six years of seminary took me to come up with this point. Wrestling on how to write this, and so this is how it came out. A follower of God follows God. <laughs> it took me six years to get that point down. I had to take lots of theology classes and church history, and but you know what? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard, but it's worth it. Look at these guys. Verse 18 says this, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Be quiet. <laughs> But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God, rather listen to you than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all we're praising God for what happened. And so here it is. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have not rejected the cornerstone, then I just encourage you to follow him regardless of what's going on in your life. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the, the, the circumstance, every one of us has a lot of stuff that's going on in our life. These guys right now, their situation was persecution. But all I'm asking and all we're asking here is through the power of the Holy Spirit, just, say, just do what you said you would do and let's follow him. One of the things I would encourage you to do all, all the times here at Northwest, here's what we are looking for as a staff. We want your hand to be up before the question is even asked. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. So your hand is up, and we can sit there and say, hey, we need people to pull the trailer. Hey, we need people to lead in student ministry. Hey, your hand is already up. The question's not come, but the hand is up, and we're ready. Why? Because a follower of God follows God, plain and simple. They didn't vacillate. They didn't waver. They were respectful. This is what 1 Corinthians nine sixteen says this. It says, for if I preach the gospel that gives me if I preach the gospel, listen to what it says, that gives me no grounds for boasting. <laughs> if I'm talking about Jesus, then I can't boast in anything on my own. I'm boasting in him. So I'm going to continue to preach that for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's what First Corinthians 9.16. So let's, let's, let's just be reminded real quick, summarize here. What are we going to remember as we go through Persecution. We're going to remember that God will do what God said He would do. We're going to remember that we rely on the Spirit to respond in the Spirit. We're going to remember that the Word of God is a tool from God, and we're going to remember that a follower of God follows God. And what I want to do during this closing time right here, band is going to come out. I just want to spend a little moment praying for the city, of, for the country of Pakistan. See, there's a guy in Pakistan. His name is Sharoon, and Sharoon is 17 years old. He was 17 years old, and he moved from a different place from a different part of Pakistan to another part of Pakistan. And when he went to his new school, he was wearing the wrong uniform. And he got made fun of. Matter of fact, the teacher slapped him across the face in front of everybody. He was known to be a Christian. He was known to be a Christian. And so he walked in, had the wrong, he, he had the wrong faith system. He was not a Muslim. He had the wrong uniform on. So he stuck out. On the second day of school at his new school, which was his last day at his new school and the last day that his parents would see him. He went to school and he wanted a drink of water. And so he got a drink of water out of a fountain that was not to be drank out of by an infidel. And while he was outside, the teacher turned her head and Sharoon was beaten to death. Missionaries in that area are really trying to help us understand that Pakistan is the fifth most dangerous place to be on the watch list for persecuted believers. And what I want us to do right now as the band gets ready to play is I want us to pray for the country of Pakistan. And I want us to partner with those believers that are over there. And we want to ask the Lord to help them to stand strong in a very difficult situation. So join me as we close. band's going to come out. I'm going to pray for us. And let's do that right now. Lord God, I come to you right now in Jesus' name, and I want to thank you for the privilege of opening up the word this morning and the honor that it is. But Lord, right now, I plead with you and I beg with you to be with the country of Pakistan. Lord, there are people over in Sharun's family that are probably labeled now that they are believers, and maybe their lives are at stake as well. So Lord, I ask you to protect them, and I ask you to be their comforter, their protector, and their shield. I ask you to, for, for you to be with all believers in Pakistan, knowing that it is an incredibly dangerous place to live as a believer. Something, Lord, that we may not over here understand or even grasp. But Lord, our responsibility is to pray for them, so I pray for them. In Jesus' name, I pray that your spirit would fill them up. I pray that when they respond, they would respond in the spirit. I pray that they would, they would lean and feast off of your word. I pray that, God, they would use the word of God as a tool, that they would believe in you, that they would trust you, and that they would follow you no matter what the circumstances may come. So, Lord, we ask you to be the center of their universe in the midst of intense persecution, and we love you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our cornerstone, that there is no one like you, that, Lord, that when we build our lives, it must be built off of you. You are dependable, you are faithful, and you said you would, you would, you will do what you said you would do. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.